Tonight we've considered that it's all the Lord's, it's all from him, it all belongs to him. The strength we derive to work and labor, often very hard at it, is also from him. It all belongs to him. It reveals our character and how we handle money. All of those things set in as our theology, our biblical understanding, a doctrine of wealth and of work. And then we come to this parable being one of them that we derive a lot out of it in relation to our finances. Let's not do violence to the scriptures. Let's make sure we first understand it in its context. You will find many of the parables. I have a whole list here, and I'm not going to bother to shoot them off and impress you with it, but many of the parables have to do with finances and money and how you handle it, how you deal with it, how you manage it, being accountable. It's all over. It's always secondary to the to the text. It's because money is so relevant to, to everybody, it's, it's used a lot as an illustration of something deeper. This parable we find in the Olivet Discourse and the Eschatological Discourse, a discourse in Matthew 24 and 25 where it's uh, the last thing before the Passion Week and Jesus is sharing with his disciples and he's sharing with Israel things about him going and him returning, and there are truths in it. Some people use this parable for soteriological purposes, that this refers to salvation and the saved and the unsaved. If you want to pull something out of there and use it, maybe you'll get a point or something there. It's not the context of this parable. The context of this parable, as I said, relates to eschatology, end times, things to come, the return of Christ and all that. But in it, we get many principles about dealing with finances, about personal finances, about investing, about being stewards, and they're from him. So that's the part we're looking at and deriving a lot of information about it. A talent was about six to 9,000 pounds of a precious metal, probably gold here. It would be many, many centuries later that the idea of a talent being our ability, I play the trumpet or something, would come. That's not the text. That's not the context. It's the resources I'm giving you. And we see in this parable several things that maybe we'd want to look at that. Five times in this discourse, it refers to the fact that no one knows when he's going to return, that we're just to be faithful till he comes. In Luke, it would say, occupy till I come. Be busy at business until I come. That's the context we find here. If you were to take one talent, it would be about 6,000 days wages. That's about a 20-year period. So we saw in the parable, someone got five, someone got two, and someone got one. Even the one talent all of that of precious, that precious metal was 20 years worth of work for a day laborer that was put into their care and what they would do with it. You see the parable in three parts, the distribution of those talents and then the action or inaction of the servants and then the return of the owner and there was to be a reckoning of what they did with those talents. Observe a couple things from the text that we can draw out that fit right with our theology of wealth. In verse 14, he entrusted to them his property. Whether you're given one talent, 
maybe in your whole work life and all the money that will flow through your hands is equal to 20 years of a, of a laborer's wages or you're given five talents, which would be 100 years of someone working day in and day out and getting money. Whatever degree you're given there, it was a lot and it's all his property. Verse 15, each man according to his ability. We're not all going to be some Bill Gates or some guru. We're not all going to be a Dave Ramsey, but he... He gave to them each according to his ability. And so we would do well to develop our abilities in the area of finance. We all differ in our abilities to handle money. If you're not handling money, don't be silly and keep praying to God. Give me more money. Give me more money. Give me more money. I can't handle it, but give me more money. I need more money. If you would just do this, I can do this and this and that. You see these things right in the text. I would say this to parents. Don't keep throwing money at your children, your young adult children perhaps, and keep throwing money at them when they're not handling it well. All you're doing is enabling them and disabling yourself. We'd want to be wise with that. Everyone has to develop those. Verse 16, it said, They went out at once and traded with them and made five talents more. I love that. They went out at once. They were given that and they got busy. With what God gave you, I'm going to take what you give me and I'm going to do my best with it to make it work, to make it increase to get out there and trade it and return on your investment. Because when that day comes and you return, and I stand before you before the judgment seat of Christ for believers I'm talking about, and give an account of that, I would love to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant in the area of finances. You get a hold of this, and it will change how you look at money and how you desire to handle it. It won't be some compartmentalized, even careless area. And it says in verse 19, Now after a long time, the master of those came and settled accounts with them. Accountability in the Bible is a big deal. Don't miss it, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 5.10, Romans 14.10. It tells us that we, if we are going to give account for every idle word, as Matthew says, are we not going to give account for every penny, for how we handle his money? That'll rock your world if you start looking at your purchases that way. That, that's why we needed that theology. It was so important. What will we build on the foundation? Will we build wood, hay, and stubble? Or we will build something that endures? I found this passage very moving in Matthew eleven twenty one to 24, dealing with accountability. That's why we need accountants. That's why we need treasurers. That's why we need people who are diligent in looking at the finances, not to nitpick but to make sure there's a good, sound plan in place and we're following the plan because not only is money entrusted to us as individuals or as couples, as a family, they're entrusted to us as ministries. Woe unto thee, Chorazim, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, 
they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. It goes on to say, but I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. It goes on to say Capernaum and has uh, the same comparison just repeated there. I want you to think about this for a minute. We are the wealthiest nation on earth. We already looked at numbers, and if we look at our own numbers in the church, they're higher than 3.11 or 3.19 million. If you were to go down on those stats, I didn't cover all of them. A couple, the average couple in New Jersey makes nearly 100,000 a year. That's a million every 10 years in that family, and they make it. Think about how much we have in this country. We as a nation will have a greater responsibility. See, woe unto thee, Chorazin, if they had seen the things that you have seen. They would have repented a long time ago, but you haven't repented. Think of us as Americans. Could you imagine allowing $5 million to flow through your hands and coming to the other end of it and living on a social security check? Because there's nothing there. Lots of people do that. Do you know the statistics say that of those who live paycheck to paycheck, over 30% of those people make more than $100,000. Could you imagine making more than $100,000 and still living paycheck to paycheck? I mean, I spent 32 years in Samoa. I spent 12 of those years on the most remote island where people have nothing and watched what they do with the nothing, with fishing from the sea and farming their land and selling just that little bit so they could send their only daughter to the private high school on the other side of the island, Longopalotu. And then after that, scraping and taking whatever they could do to make sure she got over to teacher's training college so she got her degree. And where they had Nothing but the little bit they had. They scraped and used and sacrificed and did what they had to. I mean, I spent too many years in there to come back here and not to think, wow, the materialism, the consumerism, the way we handle the amount of money that flows through here. There's part of me as a missionary that says, boy, we could really use that money for this, and we could really use that money for that. And I'm sure the people who went down to Panama have a whole lot of things that if God's people were handling God's money, God's way, could do more for the kingdom. I think we ought to really think about this accountability issue. Verse 21, thou good and faithful servant. I'd love to hear that and go on. Let's get to the practical application so we have enough time because we're down to our last 15 minutes. Quick review of baby steps. We talked about it last week. This is particularly Dave Ramsey's plan. You could have a different plan modify. It's going to look something like this. There are three things you can do with money. You can save money, give money, and spend money. Your plan ought to include those, and may I put them in the right order? Give, right at the top. Too many of us, the budget is upside down. This is particularly so, more so if you look statistically for younger people, they turn it upside down. I can't afford to tithe. Besides, that's the Old Testament law. That's not New Testament. Tithing predates the law, and it postdates the law. It's a principle, not a law. 
And if there's so much more to say about that, but this message is not on that because the budget is upside down and it's twisted because the theology is upside down and it's twisted. But if you look at this, the first things you ought to do involve saving. Save that immediate emergency fund so when you cut up your credit card and you get a flat tire, you have $1,000 to fix your tire. Then start paying off your debt with gazelle intensity because you've spent, 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 spent. So you can do three things with money. You've got to do all three. You have to save, but all, if all you ever do is save, 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 you're a hoarder. You're not right with God. If all you ever do is spend, 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 you're a fool. That's what the Bible says, not what Jim says. In the house of wise are choice foods and oil stored up, but the fool devours it all. That's Bible. That's Proverbs. Right, so we have to do some spending to live, obviously. We ought to do some spending when we're able to, also to do those extras, don't do it while you've got a big pile of debt, though. You better sacrifice. You don't need to go out and get a steak dinner. You can go 38 months without going out once and getting a steak dinner and have debt freedom. You can do that. Amen? And then it gets up to baby step three. Once I'm out of debt, now I'm going to build up my emergency fund. I like how Ramsey always says it. He says, that's insurance, not an investment. Put that in an account that's not making anything, but it's there for emergencies. When a pandemic comes, you can wait it out without going into debt like many people did, even with stimulus money that was being thrown at them. You don't have to say, I'm not going to pay my rent because it's the pandemic and I don't have to, and do all of that garbage. If you just plan your money properly, then you can get into investing and starting to build wealth and uh, all of those things as you go forward in those. So we want to look at this. Luke fourteen twenty eight to 30 says this. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Remember, shame, honor, culture. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I will say it again. Are you going to let four, maybe five million dollars pass through your hands with no plan? You wouldn't build a building that way. You would have a plan. You'd have an architect. You'd have schematics. You would have all of those things. Please, I adjure you, everyone listening, those of you who are doing well and very well, let's do better for God. Those of you who are young and starting out and you're scraping and trying to figure out how to do this and that, get on a plan. Dig deep. Sacrifice deeply. Get that right while you're young before the children start coming and they're picking up all of these habits and feeling the pressure and the stress and the tension and all of those things. This is really a big deal and an important area for us. And so to do that, you absolutely need a cash flow plan. A budget is essential. Well, I'm single and it's just me. You may not always be single. Hey, I can live carefree. I'll worry about that later. Why don't you worry about it now so that when you find Mr. Somebody or Mrs. Somebody and you want to get married, you're not coming into the marriage with 30000 in student loan debt and this thing and that and uh, means egg in Samoa and in your savings account so that you're prepared to do that. Why not while you're single saying, wow, I have the most energy I'll probably have in my life. Someday I'm going to be like him or my friend 
Pastor Dave. I'm going to be at a different stage in life and maybe not the same degree, sorry, brother, love you, as I may have later. So this is the time. And while I'm young, if I start investing and put some things aside and let that miracle of compound interest build it up, what a difference it'll make then instead of saying, whoo, I'm young, or whatever. I don't know how they play the video, video games anymore. Think about this. You're going to need to have a plan. And you say, well, we're doing all right with money. We make more than we spend. And, but I'm not being intentional and targeting it and thinking about those things. And so I strongly recommend what's called a zero-based budget, month to month. It's Dave Ramsey, it's not Jim Savalli, but that's what Emmy and I used, and we started it in January of 2017. We've been doing it every month since. We sit down and we have a budget meeting, and we go over it, and Emmy starts telling me the things she's gonna wanna do next month, and some months, I really need to go buy a couple dresses. I know, I get it. And I want her to go get dresses. So I say, well, I don't need any clothes this month, so we'll take all the clothing money. That's yours, and go. And you know what? It's nice. She came out of JCPenney with a dress, and I got to say, that's nice. That's pretty. You're pretty. Uh, never mind all of that. You know, it wasn't like, why do you have to go spend the money? Don't you know we're on a budget? See, a lot of us think budgeting is some bad word. A lot of us use the word budget so carelessly and so foolishly. It's not in the budget. Don't say that if you don't have a budget. That just means I don't want to spend it. You know, if the husband says to the wife, I'm sorry, it's not in the budget, she ought to say, show me the budget. Let me see what you mean. Because we use that stuff carelessly. I'm praying for you. Yeah, right. It's like some of the things we just say, it doesn't have meaning if you don't have a budget. And to think that we have all this wealth in our midst and 50% of our people would say, ah, I don't use a budget. I don't use an app. I don't use a budget. I don't use a this. I don't use a that. I'm doing all right. How much better if we were really intentional about it and planned things? Let's look at Dave Ramsey, a short clip as he explains the zero-based budget. The easiest and most powerful plan is the zero-based budget. The zero-based plan using the envelope system. Now, the zero-based plan does not mean you have zero money. It does not mean that you spend all your money down and you have zero in your account. You ought to keep a pad of 50 or or $100 in your account. Zero-based means that your take-home pay is X, and you, you give every one of those dollars a name. You give the money, you save the money, you pay it on debt, or you spend the money on a category. Income minus your categories equals exactly zero every month before the month begins. On paper, on purpose, unique to every month before the month begins. That's essential. That's a zero-based budget. Now, we had one guy that he, he's, you know, he added all of his up and he got down, he had $479 left at the bottom. He went, hey, I'm positive. <laughs> yeah, I'm positive you didn't get it. Because <laughs> that 479 just left dangling down there, you know what it's going to do? Disappear. You might as well have added it to the blow category or the miscellaneous category because if it's not got a name, if it's not got an assignment, it's going to wander off. 
And that's what everybody else's budget does, right? It just wanders off. That's why you're getting more power, because you're giving those dollars an assignment. Income minus assignments equals zero. That's the zero-based budget. The best teachers are skilled at classroom management. I don't care how many degrees they have. I don't care what experience they have. I want to walk by their classroom or walk into their classroom and see that they know how to manage the, their classroom environment and see that they can control the students, see that they can line up the students and take them down the hallway to the bathroom and back without the kids being all over. They have classroom management. I remember when I was a principal of a school called Fasao in American Samoa, there was this teacher, and she was a brain, and she was the science and math teacher, Marissa Hernandez, and she was so good, but her classroom management was horrible. She would take her shoe off and smack it against the board. Students, students, students. And they're throwing stuff and throwing things across the classroom. And I would just do rotations. I can get out of my office, walk all the way down, go up the stairs and go do the other one and come down. And I would just keep doing it over and over. As soon as they saw me, like they're paying attention. She didn't last as a teacher. Because she couldn't manage high school girls. It's the same way with money. I'm going to say it again. I'd like to repeat it a hundred times till we really get this. Money flows. It moves. It's active. It's a currency. And it flows from those who do not manage it to those who do manage it. There are people after your money for every reason. They're going to be marketing everything they can to you, convincing you that you need newer and bigger and better. You need more kitchen appliances. You need more this. You need more that. You absolutely need this. It'll revolutionize your life. You need relaxium and you need nature of balance or whatever they call that stuff. You need this. And they'll just keep targeting and targeting and targeting. If you can't Get a hold of this and say, I'm accountable to the one from whom it all comes. And I want to learn to manage it. And a budget is the way in which you'll do that. And so your budget ought to reflect three things. I made a real simple budget, as simple as possible as a sample. Your income. Say you get paid on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and that's your only income. You have it right there. The bottom has to match the top. In this particular example, I did 15% in the area of giving, tithings, offerings. $780, I put that first because I put God first. And then I put down all of my bills. And at the very last one, I put a little in miscellaneous because you're going to forget something. You're going to forget the kid's field trip. You're going to forget something. So threw a little bit in miscellaneous. And I said, every month, very intentionally, I'm going to put $1,000. Maybe it's because you're retiring debt, getting rid of debt. Or maybe it's because you're building savings. And I'm going to tell this money to go. And in the marriage situation, neither Emmy nor I will change We will not change the budget mid-month without sitting down and having a meeting and having a very compelling reason and finding a way to make a budget. We're going to make our money behave. We're going to 
manage it. If you have a lot of debt, you're going to cut way down. You're going to say not 300 for restaurants and entertainment. I'm not going to see a restaurant till I'm out of debt. I might take that way down. It's month to month because months are different. Some things you pay quarterly. Christmas comes every December. It's not an emergency. It comes. So it's not like, oh no, December's here and I have to get all these people gifts. You save for that overtime because it's planned and you do it month by month and I recommend you do it for the rest of your life for every bit of money that comes in I don't like doing a budget I don't know how to do it as long as you know fifth or sixth grade math you can do that and everything you spend you can say what was this oh that was entertainment that was my utilities you can figure out what goes where it's not that complicated you can do it i don't like a budget i've tried it before and i failed it's going to take you some time to get comfortable with you're going to make big mistakes the first couple months i'm now trying to address anybody maybe who has not done this you're going to forget things you're going to overcomplicate your budget you're going to leave things out you're going to do things it's going to take three to four months before you get into a comfortable rhythm with how you budget. And then something's going to throw it off because some financial change is going to happen or this or that or a pandemic's going to come or your hours at work are going to be reduced and you're going to have those things. But the more you get used to it, honestly, church, it takes me about four minutes to do our budget for the next month. I'm already thinking of things that are coming up. Some things are scheduled. It's really fast. And it's even faster for Emmy because she looks at it and then gives her commentary. Oh, but I was really hoping to do this this month. You know, that type of thing. And then we may move a few things around. It's something every one of us could do. I believe with all my heart it's something every one of us should do. And that we can do that. We're going to have to deal with a few things because anytime you're going to start managing a classroom you're building in discipline the teacher will have to be disciplined in doing it consistently is boring how many times are they going to say when they're lined up at the bathroom flat stanley and all the kids get back in order and straighten up and doing it over and over and over again and lazy teachers don't want to do that Careless teachers don't want to do that. We can be the same way with our money. It will take some discipline. You can't have a budget on paper and not have it in reality. Then it's not a budget. It's just something on paper. You can't say, yep, I did my budget. I have my budget. And then go through your month and go into, what's it called again, Starbucks for the 17th time that month. And then wonder when you do your numbers, wow. I spent $320 on Starbucks. You're going to have to kind of build an awareness and look at those things as you go along. But as you do this more and more and get used to it, if you would prevent yourself from impulse buying, we can lie to ourselves about anything and everything. We're we're finishing up. Thank you for your patience. I mean, we can convince ourselves, I really need that. It's not a need. This is an emergency. No, it's not an emergency. Your vacation to go camping isn't an emergency. We're going camping and we've had this plan for six weeks, but we don't have enough money. I'm going to have to pull from the emergency fund. Oh, we pulled for the emergency fund to plan the trip. I'm going to have to pull out the card. 
I told you you should have cut them up. Because this, it's going to take a degree of discipline and practice to do this. For a while, you're going to just have to have red-hot intensity about this. But overarching will be intentionality. I will be intentional with the way I manage money. Boy, I sure hope some of this stuff would sink in. If anyone is looking for practical help on some of this, can we meet with you? Can you go over a, a way to do a sample budget? I would be glad to help anybody. I'll find time. I'll squeeze in time to help you. Married couples, the budget will help you communicate with one another in a way that perhaps you haven't before. In the beginning, you might fight each other about what priorities go into the budget, but once you get balanced on that, you'll communicate about all kinds of things because money touches everything. It gets to your heart. It gets to your priorities. It's great. Singles, please, please, please find somebody you trust who's mature with money and make them an accountability partner. If this is an area, especially if you're struggling with it, find somebody who's mature in the Lord and mature with money and say, I just need an accountability partner. I need someone to go to and say, here's my budget. And then maybe check in with him after two weeks and say, here's all I spent, here's where I am. And then come to the end of the month and face the music. You know, this month I was aiming for this, but. And make yourself accountable to someone else. See, we husbands and wives, we have built-in accountability. You know, it's like, I saw the Dunkin' Donuts bag in the garbage outside the garage. Where did that come from? I don't know, I mean, must be those neighbors in our garbage again. See, we kind of have a built-in accountability, especially if we both get intentional about it. Don't come to the end of your life with nothing. Last video and we're done. It's about two minutes long, if I remember correctly, and then we'll dismiss. Thank you for your patience. A couple of years back, there was a movie called Jerry Maguire. Anybody remember that movie? Famous scene in there where he yells, show me the money. You remember that scene? I want everybody in here to stand up. Everybody stand up. Now, here's what I want you to think about. I already told you that the average family makes a half a million dollars in 10 years, so it's safe to say that the typical person in here, the typical family represented in here, typical family watching us on these videos has, will earn in their working lifetime anywhere from 3 to 12 or 14 million dollars. You sit in traffic to go over there to that job and earn that money. You put up with crazy customers at that job to earn that money. Some of you put up with crazy bosses over there to earn that money. You work too hard for that money to get to the end of your life and have nothing to show for it. The, the whole essence of this lesson is for you to happen to your money, for you to look at yourself in the mirror, for you to look at the paperwork, and you to say, have a Jerry Maguire moment, and you to say, show me the money. Now I want you to yell that at the top of your lungs like your whole life's earnings are on the line because your whole life's earnings are on the line. You've got to make your money behave. You work too hard to get to the end of your life and be broke. So yell, show me the money. Show me the money. One more time. Show me the money. Awesome. Awesome. Woo. Very powerful. We do work too hard to get to the end. 
our group here, many of us are in the older group and some of them in the much older group. And you might say, well, I am at that stage in life and I do have some degree of money and security. I'm not worried about coming to the end and having nothing to show for it. Boy, I sure hope you've taken care of things like, uh, what do they call that, elderly care insurance and some of those things to protect it. Because people can amass a lot in their older years and then a decline into dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that can wipe everything. And before they even will take you in, they'll say, okay, but you're going to have to sign over your house. And that house might take care of five or six years, but that condition might last 10 to 15 years. So we never want to get so comfortable that we take all that for granted. Insurance is a way to protect your money, just like the emergency fund is a form of insurance. We have to think that way. Final point I would make also to maybe some of us who are older and in a different place with money, we must help the generations that follow us. It's been several generations now who for whatever reason have been uncomfortable to communicate financial truths to the next generation. I don't know how or why that happened, but it's a reality here. And in the church, we're shy and afraid to talk about it because we feel like we're going to sound like one of those pastors who's just trying to get money, like all those televangelists or something. So we'd rather avoid that topic altogether so people don't think we're some money-hungry preachers. That's not what any of this is about. It's about us handling God's money, God's way, and coming to a later stage in life where we're not only taken care of, but that we can do so much more for legacy, that we can do so much more for the kingdom of God. Great, great set of truths. Thank you for your patience and for nobody giving me mean looks for going a few minutes over time. Let's pray. Father, we do love you and thank you. I heard Jason pray that I have some type of expertise in this area, but I've been a fool in this area for 50 of my 58 years, and I'm just barely beginning. There are others even here among us who've done better and have been wiser. Let us all join together and impact more and more people to handle your money, your way for your glory and your honor so that we can love you supremely and love others sacrificially. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a great evening.